Coming up on Chasing the Natty, the news has been slow this week, so we're letting you guys drive the show with CTN's first ever mailbag episode. We got questions ranging from CFF Redraft to CFF Dynasty to Campus to Canton Leagues. All this and more coming right after this. Zappi looking to Jared Stearns who makes the catch and scores. What a burst! Trey Fon Anderson! As advertised, touchdown Buckeyes! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful, wonderful Super Bowl weekend. Um, we'll go, I guess we'll briefly talk about that just to open up the show and everything. But again, I hope you guys have a wonderful time. Uh, this week, if you haven't really been following college football, you basically have not missed much uh, unless you are really, really into the Brian Harson Twitter space episodes that have been going on recently. Uh, but other than that, really slow week. And so because of that, instead of just not doing a show this week, decided that this week's will episode will be the first ever mailbag episode. And I have brought on a very kind and special guest to help us out with that this week, especially to answer some of your C2C questions. And that is Mr. Austin Nace, host of the Campus to Canton podcast, as well as just Campus to Canton guru all around. Austin, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, I'm glad we put this in your contract when you joined us at C2C here that I have to come on the show every so often. So thank you for, for fulfilling your contractual obligation Absolutely. to have me here today. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to have all of y'all on. If I could run a show where I could have every single member of the Campus Canton team on it, as well as the CFF team uh, on it, I probably would find a way. I'd find a way. We'd all have our own little boxes on the graphics. And it's just like, a basic a mosaic of campus of Canton guys look like the Brady Bunch yeah it really yeah, would be the Brady the Bunch <laughs> um so yeah again slow week um like I've mentioned and everything uh but again we got a lot to talk about anyway because again you guys gave us a ton of questions to talk about and there's some really really good topics here a lot of good angles we can tackle here today uh before we get started though if you are watching this on YouTube there's a little subscribe button right I think down here if I'm pointing in the correct direction right down there uh, click on that, click on that notification bell, and definitely right below here is the comment section. And y'all, I want to talk to you. Talk to me down there. You can also talk to me on Twitter. I am at CFF underscore Jared. You can always find me there. You can DM me. You can just at me in your, uh, get me in your mentions, stuff like that. If you're listening to this on podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you're listening to your podcast, make sure you are leaving five-star reviews wherever you are, as well as that. Make sure you're just following us. Make sure you know exactly when the next CTN episode will be released. Now, granted, that's typically Monday or Monday mornings, but even still, you just want to be there as soon as you can be. Uh, even still, that's pretty much the um, that's pretty much the spiel. There, we'll go ahead and get started with the show today. But again, Austin, it is Super Bowl weekend, so before we get started, I do want to go ahead and get your pick: Rams or Bengals? Uh, as a a lifelong Rams fan. That has been my bit for the week. Um, <laughs> I, I do not like the Bengals. Uh, I'll go Rams uh, by like it's like 27-21, I think is what I predicted on the C2C pod. Something in that range feels right to me. Yeah. 
I would say that I don't think the Rams are going to be able to keep Burrow, Chase, and Higgins down for too long. Um, but I do think they'll be able to score enough. Because, they, they, again, everybody's talking about Burrow and everything like that. But, like, the Rams have not been any kind of slouches uh, when it comes to offensive production. So, like, I think this is going to be a pretty high-scoring Super Bowl. I would be surprised if either... If there is going to be a blowout, I think it will go the Rams' way, which is why I'll just pick the Rams in general. I'm going to pick, predict a little bit higher scoring game than what you predicted. I'm going to go. I'm going to go 34-28 okay. Okay. with with the Rams winning, of course. So my money would be on Rams minus four. I think I think that's the line, right? Rams I think that's where it's at now. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm surprised it's that close. I'll be real, because again, like Rams are just a straight up better team, but like you know, Burrow Magic. Hey, you know, we said that same thing. I can I can remember my first Super Bowl that I can remember off the top of my head is that Rams Patriots Super Bowl, and everyone said Rams are just the better team. So, um, not to not to bring up bad memories for Rams fans, but uh, so I'm trying to remember my first Super Bowl that I truly remember. I think I remember. Was there a Giants Jets Super Bowl? Like in like the early two thousands or something like that. I Giants, remember. Giants, Ravens, and then the Giants were in again in two thousand seven with the Patriots. I, think I those remember were there. I, for some reason I remember the Giants and I remember the Jets being early on as one of my Super Bowl teams because I remember like watching that one being like, oh, that's my first Super Bowl. I'd have to look that up later, but I do remember green jerseys in a blue jersey, and I it like to me now that correlates with Giants and Jets. So maybe I'm wrong. I do remember Eli Manning though because that was like the first quarterback that like caught my attention of like oh eli manning that's a name i'll remember uh the mannings the mannings the mannings then, uh, there's a new one on the way Can there is get, a new one on the way and if we get far enough into this we'll definitely talk about him um so basically how you know what we'll do an announcement first then we'll describe the mailbag and everything so just a reminder again um in case you missed last week's episode this is just a quick little announcement again uh just a just a small small deal um Chase and Natty has officially become the CFF podcast for the Campus of Canton Podcast Network, which Austin, all of you guys over there, thank you so much for having us be a part of this. But in addition to that, not only will I be joining the Campus of Canton team, we have brought on several of your favorite CFF analysts from around the Twitter space. It is myself, Nate Marquise at CFF Nate. He is on board with us as well. Brandon Sanders, host of the CFF University podcast, will be joining us, and he's got a ton of great stuff coming your way. Chris Moxley, who is already on the Campus of Canton team, pretty much moving almost over to the CFF team um, exclusively. Austin, correct me if I'm wrong there, but even so, like, he has been awesome for us in terms of, like, bringing some more analytics to CFF and just, like, all these ideas. Like, y'all, you would have, you would love to be in that Slack chat that we got going on in terms of, like, the ideas we bounce off of each other, the discussions that we have and stuff like that. It's going to be incredible stuff coming down the line for you guys um and before i mean austin you got anything else you really want to say since you you're the one that brought us on really no i mean we're just excited to have you guys uh, i mean we're campus but a big part of it is cff we figured it was you know time to address that and since i am certainly not a cff expert and, and most of my colleagues are not either um so glad to have you guys there to um fill in all those gaps that we cannot fill ourselves yeah, again, guys, I'm I'm very, very excited. It is very, very nice to have a platform and a source of support for just not only just uh, Chase and Natty, but just all of the content that we'll be producing going forward. I'm very, very excited about it. Uh, one little thing, Asa, I almost, I'm going off the sheet here, and I completely almost missed this. Um, just a quick thing. If you haven't seen it already, 
Fantrax has renewed uh, all of your leagues for 2022. So if you have not done so already, go ahead and reach out to your league mix. Go ahead and get discussions going how you guys want to do it going forward. Um, but we'll get more into that in the upcoming weeks. I got Brandon Sanders coming on in the next couple of weeks who will be providing you guys some great, great CFF Dynasty insight in terms of uh, how you need to be as a manager. We'll be talking about what commissioners need to be doing, stuff like that. But that's a tease for next week. Let's get to the main point of today's segment, and that is going to be our mailbag. Now, how did this work? Well, pretty simple. I put out a tweet. I said, hey, we're doing a mailbag this week, and I need questions. And y'all delivered. Y'all really, really delivered. I got so many different responses so quickly, and these questions have covered a variety of different ways to look at college fantasy. Like I said in the intro, we're talking CFF redraft. We're talking about Dynasty. We're talking about Campus to Canton. We're going to be covering all that kind of stuff. And again, Austin, thank you for coming on to really kind of help me out with some of those Campus to Canton questions as well. Um, but even still, again, y'all have done a fantastic job. These are in no particular order. Um, I mostly just kind of put uh, what I thought would flow the best and everything. And we're just going to keep going until we get to roughly about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And then whatever questions are not answered, I will be going back to that Twitter chat. And if I didn't answer your question, I'm going to provide you some answers down below there. So nobody's getting left behind here. You either get on the show or you're going to be, or you're going to be answered in the uh, Twitter. Uh, what's the word? Thread. Thread. But even so, enough chit chat from me. Also, let's get started on some of these questions. And the first one here is going to come from your co-host, uh, which I'm sure you are just ecstatic about. But uh, can't get away from him. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, normally I would try to go for somebody who's like more of just like a fan, not their own host and everything. But I thought that's just a great starting question for a mailbag. And I think a lot of people just want to hear stuff like this. Colin Decker asks, what are three position battles you're keeping an eye on through the spring, excluding the Texas Tech quarterback, and I'm also taking this to mean he's just Texas Tech in general, because I could easily just say the Texas Tech wide receiver room as well, but I'm just going to say no Texas Tech. Uh, Austin, you want to take this one, or you want me to start off on this one? I mean, I have one big name that I can toss out. It's a name that I've been arguing um, with Felix Sharp, one of the, the our, our guys at C2C all, uh, for the last week or two on, and it's the Washington quarterback. Okay, I, That's a battle that I'm going to be watching really, really closely because I think for a couple of reasons, you know, new head coach, new coaching staff, Kalen DeBoer coming in there, former head coach of Fresno State. He's a magician when it comes to getting an offense, not only humming, but he does it quickly. Mm-hmm. Like the first year when he gets up to somewhere, he usually gets results. So I, I think that people saying, you know, maybe we should pump the brakes on Washington. You know, I, I don't agree with that. I think this is going to be a good offense year one, especially in a conference that isn't great defensively. So then the question becomes, who's going to be the quarterback? I don't think the, the argument is either Michael Penix Jr., who transferred in from Indiana this year. He there are a lot of reasons to to try to say that he is going to be that guy because he played quarterback under DeBoer when he was the offensive coordinator, at Indiana, a few years ago mm-hmm. and had by far his best season in college. But there's also Sam Heward, who was a five star recruit in last year's class. Uh, one of the top recruits that's ever gone to Washington played in one game, essentially last year looked like the moment was the probably too big for him. Um, but you know, these guys aren't already year one. That's why, you know, we, we you say, you know, don't, don't bank on a quarterback producing as a freshman. It doesn't happen that often. I think Heward fits what 
DeBoer wants to do a lot. Like there are a lot of parallels to draw between a guy like him and a guy like Jay Kaner, who was his quarterback mm-hmm. at Fresno State. And Penix just hasn't been healthy the past couple of years and is now basically looks like a shell of his former self. So I think that's a legit question. Do you take the guy that has the experience with the board before, but hasn't looked very good the past couple of years? Do you take, are you picking the young, you know, hot upstart guy who we haven't really seen anything from yet, but I think whichever guy wins is definitely fantasy relevant. Um, and so I think that's going to be one that I'm watching. I'm predicting Heward wins it, but I don't think that's a foregone conclusion by any stretch. And I think it, it'll also be very interesting to see if either one of them can win it coming out of spring camp. Because I think if you're if one of them wins it coming out of spring camp, that's either a huge endorsement of the guy that does win it or a huge indictment of the guy who doesn't. Um, like you would think that, you know, there, like you said, there's merits to both sides here. Like Penix has experience in this offense before. Maybe Sam Heward needs some more time to get used to it. But he's clearly probably the more talented quarterback out of the two. So maybe he pushes Penix where it's like hey if i can learn this system i can be that guy going into the fall and everything but if like Penix wins it out of camp that to me is a red flag on heward just in general and if heward wins it coming out of spring camp that to me just tells me that like you said Penix is just fully a former shell of himself just can't be the guy that he was for pen or for DeBoer a couple of years ago i agree with you that that one wasn't even one that i thought about but you're right i think that is definitely one to watch Colin asked for three here, so I figured I'd just go one receiving room, one quarterback room, one running back room. Receiving room, to me, this one's easy, Alabama. Just got to watch that Alabama receiving room. Got to be looking out for who's that guy coming out of spring camp. Is it Burton? Is it Brooks? Is it Hall? I think Earl has solidified himself as that slot for Bama this upcoming year, so I do think he's going to be fantasy relevant no matter what. But if it's not Burton or not Brooks, or if it's not Again, my flag is planted on Burton right now, but if I hear coming out of camp and everything that Brooks might be the guy or Ajay Hall has taken a major step forward, like, you know, you got to rethink that a little bit. Um, Again, my flag's still planted on Burton there. Uh, The quarterback room I'm watching out for, and I can already see the DMs coming my way of, don't you know Zach Kitley left already? No, I'm watching the Western Kentucky quarterback room. Their entire reason to be relevant was because of that offense last year nobody thought about western kentucky before last year but people started watching them last year because that offense was so fun the head coach there i forget his name off the top of my head his entire job security is based on the idea that they can replicate what they did last year so what did they do they went and hired the uh offensive quality analyst god his name is i forget a name apple white no arbuckle they, hired, they went and hired Arbuckle as the co-offensive coordinator, and his job is effectively to be like, all right, you, have, you were there with Kitley at Houston Baptist. You were there with Kitley at West Kentucky. Recreate what he did. And so because of that, you have to be watching this quarterback room because we all saw what Bailey Zappi did last year. Now, granted, I don't think we're going to get another Zappi, but still, like, regardless, like, even if they are able, if that quarterback that they have is only going to be able to produce like 70% of what Zappi did last year, he's still going to be a top 30 quarterback. He's still somebody you're going to be wanting to look out for, and that's just his floor. Um, so, like, what are the names there? Obviously, Jared Dougie is the transfer they brought in from West, West Virginia, which I know a lot of people are not very excited about. I'm not very excited about. But also, he is taking a step down in competition. He's not playing in Power 5 anymore. It's Western Kentucky. They play in the CUSA. Or best case scenario, they move on to the MAC, which the defenses are even worse over there. So it's like even a guy like that could flourish in that kind of situation. But the name I'm putting out there is Darius o- Oceans, 
Uh, he was a true freshman last year, and from what I've heard from Hannah Page, who is our resident uh, Western Kentucky expert over in the Slack, uh, she was pointing out that Oceans was kind of brought in to be maybe that next guy up uh, after Bailey Zappi was gone. So I am kind of planting my flag there and saying, like, he's going to be that guy that, like, if I'm doing really early offseason best balls and everything, he might be a guy I take just late, 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 uh, excuse me, really late in those best ball drafts. Could be a guy that I just is taking up roster space by the time the season comes around, but also could be that guy. Um, and then the last one here, Cincinnati running back room is the running back room I'm looking out for. We all saw what Jerome Ford did last year. I am shocked that a running back in the transfer portal has not tried to make their way over to Cincinnati. Because quite frankly, like Ryan Montgomery, Charles McClellan, and Ethan Wright, none of those guys really stuck out to me as like that clear next guy up last year, especially with Jerome Ford basically taking all the volume. So if one of those guys can kind of break away from the pack coming out of spring camp, I would love that. And honestly, he'd be somebody I would put be investing some pretty decent capital into, especially in dynasty leagues, if they're not taken already. And I, I just want to toss out one other one, Jared, okay. that I, I, I think is less settled than we think it is. And that's the wide receiver room at Ohio State. Because I think this one has big implications. The assumption now is that Flem, Julian Fleming is kind of the third wide receiver there. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if and how long it takes for him to be supplanted by, presumably it's going to be JSN, Fleming, and Marvin Harrison Jr. I yes. think is kind of the assumption I'm working under right now. If Emeka Egbuka can supplant him, does so, that move around the wide receivers in that offense, which I think is actually the bigger question? Like, do you take JSN out of the slot and put Ibuka? Like, does that that, that was shift my kind of the targets? Like, Ibuka yeah. is a slot guy, so like yeah. JSN, like to me, has locked down that slot position. Even what we saw in the bowl game, like for Utah, without Harris, without Wilson, there, without Alave, JSN was still working that slot big time in that game. So that tells me they don't want to take him out of that slot. Now, granted, you're right. Like, what happens if Emeka Ibuka does take that next step? It allows for JSN to move out um, to the outside. I think the question there will be, or like what happens there will be answered by if we see anybody enter the transfer portal. If we see Julian Fleming enter the transfer portal after spring and everything, that should tell us that something's happening there in the Ohio State wide receiver room, that maybe Emeka Buka is making that next step, or maybe there's just another name that we haven't even thought about yet. Um, and then it's, again, it's Ohio State. Uh, they get the best wide receiver recruits every single year. I know we're not terribly excited about some of the guys they're bringing in next this upcoming year compared to where we've been the past couple of years, like Burton, Grays, uh, guys like that. Like we're not as high on them as like JSN or Marvin Harrison Jr. But you know things happen. Uh, sometimes guys just break out in camp, and like nobody thought Adonai Mitchell would be a starter for Georgia uh, coming into this year. He's a three star recruit and everything. But you know guys just pop every once in a while. Um, so. Just never know. But again, I think that's a great call. Uh, the Ohio State wide receiver room is definitely one to keep an eye on. Go ahead and hit up another question here. And this one comes from Mr. Scott Robertson, which by the way, Scott, uh, God bless you, but he, Scott left like 17 different questions under this thread. And so Scott, we're probably going to be able to only get to one or two questions from you today. Um, and I will try to answer every single one of your other ones as well. But this is an interesting question. I think it really ties into how we should view different kinds of leagues. And again, I think this is going to help us, uh, Austin, you're going to really help us out with this one. Scott asks, Tyler Buck, 
Buckner is cracking the top 10 Canvas Canton quarterback rankings, but is going undrafted in your nine round early CFF mock drafts, suggesting he's outside the top 24 in CFF only redraft leagues. Why is there such a disparity? Austin, do you want to take this one up? Yeah, definitely. Um, so first off, I think if I'm playing a best ball, uh, Buchner, Butchner, however, I've never figured out a, a final way to say his name. I, I think Buckner. is a is a guy that you should be targeting because mm-hmm. straight up Notre Dame threw the ball, I think 27th in the country on a per game basis last year in terms of pure volume. And I think overall we're like 30th or 31st. I mean, this was a team that threw the ball a lot. They maintained their offensive coordinator. Tommy Reese is still there. They only really lose Kevin Austin. They lose Kyron Williams as well, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I do think they have some guys there to kind of replace uh, his passing game worth. So I think he's a sneaky CFF play that maybe that side of things hasn't caught up to yet. The reason why he's top 10 for us is because we, as a site, loved him as a prospect, uh, dual threat guy, like ran for like over 1,500 yards or something in his high school Good. career. I mean, yeah, and he only played like two years because he had an ACL tear, and then he had a year where with COVID they didn't play at all, and he mm-hmm. enrolled early at Notre Dame. So like in two years he did that. Um, he's got all the tools. He looked okay last year. I, like, I think the speed of play was a little too much for him, but like the tool, like he, he, when he had, a, a, you know, the time to throw, he looked really good. I think, you know, if he can catch up to speed of play issues, I think he can be a first round draft pick in a couple of years. So that's why he's still going really high for us. And I think his only, his only competition this year is Drew Pine. Yes. Now, granted, I could see that coaching staff doing something goofy, and, you know, elevating Pine to status, maybe he shouldn't be. But I, I just think he's probably the guy there. And I think there's a chance that he puts up some pretty nice numbers there. Yeah, again, to me, it like the him being outside the top 24 CFF QBs right now, I think has nothing to do with like what people think his ceiling is. I think it has more to do with the uncertainty. Like he hasn't been named the starter yet. He, we don't know exactly what this offense is going to look like. Like again, you're right, Austin. Like they did, um, they did retain the offensive coordinator. Um, Brian Kelly couldn't pry him over to LSU, which, oh boy, what an indictment that was. Um, but again, like, and then we saw in the bowl game, you had Jack Cohn throw the ball sixty times on a team that, like, typically you think Notre Dame and they're like, run, like they're run, 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 like Kyron Williams. Like you think about all these different running backs that they've had over the past couple of years. Um, so it's like, do we trust the idea that they're going to throw 60 times a game? Probably not. But like, are they going to throw the ball more? Sure. And if that's the case, again, t- Tyler Buckner is a deal right now. But again, it has more to do with the uncertainty rather than like what people think of him as like, oh, hit, there's no way he cracks the top 24 in CFF QBs this year. You can't really think about that or think like that this early on in the offseason with so much just not known. I think he's the kind of guy that elevates the weapons if he's, you know, as good as we think he is. Like they have Mayer and then they have Lorenzo Styles, a guy that I love. I think oh, yeah. I know that I, I was that about to talk about. Um, and then, you know, there's kind of question marks outside of that, but I think he's a good enough player where he can kind of just elevate whatever you've got at wide receiver. So I don't have a question. Like it, the concerns about them lacking a stable of weapons, quote unquote, I can't get my fingers in the screen here. It's so small. Um, I don't, I think that's overblown as well. I'm not mm-hmm. too concerned about that. But yeah, I, again, I thought that was a good question uh, regarding like how to think about different kind of leagues and everything like that. Because again, like CFF redraft, you only think about this year, but 
Campus of Canton, you're thinking about NFL potential, stuff like that. Even a CFF dynasty and everything, I guarantee you Buckner's probably already on some somebody's roster somewhere. Uh, probably in a startup, you would see him probably go a little bit higher than what you're going to be seeing in a CFF redraft. So it's like the more and more you're thinking about future and more and more you're thinking about talent, the higher and higher you're going to see Buckner go. But not a lot of people are entirely sold on what he can do this year. All right, we got a loaded question next. Uh, this one is, I'm going to take the lead on this one. Um, Drew Dunn, a friend of the show, asks, how do you see the first round of a dynasty freshman draft playing out? So my immediate way to think about this question was, okay, let's see what's going on in Campus of Canton, first round drafts. And so I go over there and I'll run through this real quick. Uh, usually in the first round of a Campus Canton league, you are seeing Jaden Blue go off first, Nicholas Singleton, running back Penn State, Drew Aller, quarterback Penn State, Branson Robinson, running back out of Georgia, Devin Brown, quarterback for Ohio State, Gavin Sawchuk, running back out of Oklahoma, Javante Citizen, running back from Miami, Cade Klubnick, quarterback for Clemson, Luther Burden, wide receiver from Missouri, Connor Wiegman, quarterback for Texas A&M, Jerrion Miller, uh, running back for Alabama, and then Emmanuel Henderson, running back for Alabama. And so I kind of look at that, and I'm like, all righty, so take that. Now shift to what's important. Shift away from what's important in C to C, and shift towards what's important in CFF redraft. So when you're doing that, you got to think, okay, guys with NFL potential, like that is their biggest selling point, have to drop a little bit because in CFF dynasty you can't think you like that's that's worthless. You don't have to worry about how many years they're going to be playing in the league because you're not going to have them when they play in the league in a C- in a CFF dynasty. So guys like that are going to drop. Now who's going to rise up a little bit? you're looking for guys that are going to get immediate playing time. So like a guy like Jaden Blue, who is going first overall in the Campus of Canton freshman drafts this year, is going to drop quite a bit because Bijan Robinson is still there. Like he, I, he's not going to become the main back over Bijan Robinson. I don't think even Austin, who I think is the biggest Jaden Blue fanboy out there, is expecting Bijan or him to overtake Bijan Robinson in year one. Am I wrong with that, Austin? Or is he going to take over? <laughs> No, you're 100% correct. Unless Bijan opts out, which Unless is out or gets certainly hurt. within the range of options. But I no, I don't think we see. He could be the, the second guy there, but he won't mm-hmm. overtake him. But again, now you're looking at guys who are who are going to get immediate playing time. So let's look at guys in that C2C first round. They're probably going to rise up a little bit because their situation just says, hey, they could take over immediately. To me, the 101 in CFF Dynasty this year is Nicholas Singleton. Love him to death. Uh, to me, he has by far the best situation that he's walking into to possibly just immediately take over that room. I don't... K- Kayvon Lee is not somebody that scares me off from uh, Nicholas Singleton. Uh, I believe Lovett is out of eligibility. Noah Kane has transferred out. So to me, Singleton's walking into a good situation there. And so then guys like Drew Oliver, where a lot of people are expecting him to take over, maybe as Penn State starting quarterback by the end of the, by the, end of his freshman year, might get driven up a little bit. Gavin Sawchuck going into Oklahoma. Eric Gray and Barnes are pretty much the only guys there. And not a lot of people are entirely sold on them. Got Marcus Majors too, but you know, he's been meh. So Gavin Sawchuck might be rising a little bit there because he has opportunity to play immediately. Uh, Cade Klubnick will be another guy that probably rises up more in CFF Dynasty because again, he could supplant DJ Uyangalele if Uyangalele continues to struggle like he did last year. So with all that being said, I'll run through my CF, like I basically created a one round mock of CFF Dynasty 
that I think this is probably the order that you would be seeing in. Austin, you kind of comment on anything that you think I might be missing here. So I would say Nicholas Singleton, Drew Aller, Gavin Sawchuk, Cade Klubnik, Luther Burden. So those are all guys that I think will, like people are going to expect high talent, early playing time, stuff like that. Then you get into that next tier where people are like, okay, I'm willing to wait an, a year on some of these guys because when they do get the starting job, they have extremely high upside. That's when you see guys like Jaden Blue go off. That's when you see guys like Devin Brown, Trevante Citizen, Branson Robinson, guys like that. Um, and then one other thing I forgot to mention with the C2C is, again, like I mentioned that there's going to be guys that you might have to wait a year on that I think just drop out of the first round altogether. Connor Wiegman, I think he drops out of the first round of CFF Dynasty because, again, Texas A&M is just not a very good CFF offense in general. Um, and I don't think Wiegman is the kind of guy that they're going to shift the entire offensive philosophy in order to do so. And then Miller and Henderson, two Alabama running backs, you just aren't going to see those guys play this year. Um, you got Jameer Gibbs, who transferred in there. He's probably going to be the main back, but Jason McClellan's still there. Trey Sanders is still there. Uh, Kamar Wheaton transferred down, so maybe there opens up a little bit of room there, but they're not going to be like CFF producers in their first year, so they drop out of the first round. So who replaces them? Uh, I do think Evan Stewart is just a kind of guy where a lot of people like the talent so much. They're like, hey, no matter where he is, whether it's Texas A&M, maybe transfer somewhere else, I'm willing to put, throw a first-round dart on him. Ty Simpson, quarterback for Alabama, uh, is a five-star quarterback going to Alabama. You're willing to wait a year on him, especially if Bryce Young lights it up again this year and then maybe he's the guy next year. And then I put Shaz Preston in there because, again, wide receivers at Alabama, you're willing to wait a year or two on them if, if they can become the guy. What yeah, I think those I, those are all fair names. Um, while, while you were kind of talking, I went through my top 25 or so at each position for freshmen coming in this year and just kind of highlighted real quick, like the guys that I think have a chance to mm-hmm. contribute year one and might not be the guy, but I think, you know, we'll probably have, they'll probably have a very defined role going into year two that that's much bigger. Uh, and just some guys that I highlighted here, Ramon Brown running back is four star going to Maryland, mm-hmm. I think is a really intriguing back. He's my number six overall back in the class. Uh, was supposed to go to Virginia Tech and flipped like the day before signing day. He's already got size. Maryland's backfield is just kind of a cluster right now. He would not surprise me. Um, UNC brings in two running backs this year. George Petaway is my favorite of the group. He's Michael Carter-ish. Uh, if I had to draw the comparison, they also have uh, Omari and Hampton coming in. He's more of the Javante role. I think we would be more likely to see Petaway this year. So a guy to be interested in. There's two wide receivers going to TCU. TCU has DJ some dykes coming in, DJ Allen and Jordan Hudson. I think those are guys that you both, one of them could snag a rule year one. Um, so I think those guys, uh, Matthew Golden, wide receiver, who's going to Houston. We always want the first, the top wide receiver at Houston. It's going to be Dell this year, mm-hmm. but Golden is just flat out going to be the most talented guy on that roster going forward. So I think he has a very high chance to be that guy. I'd be taking him early. Um, and then there's some other guys like Arlen Harris Jr. running back going to Stanford, empty backfield besides EJ Smith, Ollie Gordon going to Oklahoma State, a running back, empty backfield, uh, Ashton Gianti running back going to Boise, empty backfield, Quinshawn Judkins going to Ole Miss, empty backfield. So those are just some names that would jump up my board a little bit if what I'm really caring about is getting them on the field and seeing something year one, because I think all those guys will probably do that. Yeah, because again, in CFF Dynasty, like you're getting these guys for like 
three, four years max. So like you want to make sure that you're grabbing guys that are going to play for you as many of those years as you can, even if like again like maybe that final year like in that fourth year when that guy finally gets the chance to be the main guy. But it's like you've been you've, he's been sitting on your roster for three years. How valuable has that been those last three years? Unless you're again just a tiger lying in wait with your roster where it's like already all seventeen of these guys are all going to get their starting jobs right around the same time. You're playing it. You're playing with fire there. In C two C drafts, even I, my rule of thumb, I ask myself when I start getting to the end of these freshman drafts or like a startup, can this guy survive two years worth of end of year roster cuts? Mm-hmm. And if I don't think they can, based on just them not getting volume by that point, then I probably pass. So I, I like, I probably, it's probably I'm willing to wait a little longer than you would in a CFF, but I still won't take a guy. Who I think, well, he'll sit for three. Like I wouldn't take Brian Robinson, even if I knew what his career was going to be as a freshman, mm-hmm. because like you're not going to see anything for three years. Like those are the kind of guys that I don't personally like to take either. No, I think that's absolutely fair. All right. So this next question kind of ties into this last one. We'll hit it real quick. Um, but it's like if you could pick one, this is from ATL Dan at ATL Dan on Twitter. He asks, which quarterback, running back, wide receiver incoming freshman would you want most on your cff roster in 2023 and i assume again he's probably talking freshman draft but also kind of consider this like in a cff redraft uh, perspective because again you have guys every once in a while that pop like last year you had travion henderson uh who just became the guy brock bowers at georgia became the tight end four by the end of the year so i guess i'll answer it from that perspective as well so if I, in a CFF redraft, if I had to pick a freshman quarterback, probably would go Cade Klubnik, because I think he has probably the easiest path for a high-talented wide, or a high-talented quarterback to starting time this year, because we've seen Davos Swinney bench the, his previous starting quarterback for maybe a more talented guy behind him. If Cade Klubnik immediately goes in there and kind of lights things up compared to DJ, I could easily see him maybe bringing back what we had with Trevor Lawrence, maybe. God, please. Um, running back, I've already mentioned it, Nicholas Singleton. Like he he is the guy. He is the best situation going forward. I like He's the guy I would absolutely be willing. I think he's the only freshman running back I have in my CFF rankings uh, so far. So I would, I would say Nicholas Singleton. And the wide receiver, Luther Burden. Uh, again, just going into... Going into Mizzou, they don't have like a clear cut wide receiver one there right th- right now. I'm also big on Sam Horn there. That's another quarterback I consider for this, uh, where like I could see both of them going in there, overtaking like there's no returning starting quarterback from Mizzou, so maybe Horn takes over as the quarterback, Luther takes over as a wide receiver one. Maybe you get early production out of those guys. Yeah, I think. I like all of those names. Luther Burden's my wide receiver one uh, in the whole class. Uh, I really, really, really like him. Um, that Mizzou offense is going to be fun, I think, mm-hmm. over the next couple of years. Um, so I'll, I'll follow your lead here. I'll take one guy at each position. Um, quarterback, I think the guy that I'm going to want the most outside of, like, I think, like, Devin Brown is my top quarterback in the class. I think he can take over for C.J. Stroud and continue, you know, that Ohio State offense. Um, but let's go with a, a slightly less well-known name and Taven Jackson okay. quarterback, four-star composite going to Tennessee. Hendon hooker only has one year of eligibility left. So he's definitely out the door. 
Taven Jackson is literally, if you drew up a Josh Heupel quarterback in a lab, he is what he wants. He is basically Dylan Gabriel, but taller, more athletic, and has a better arm. Like, I think this guy is literally just the perfect, perfect quarterback for Josh Heupel. I think that Tennessee offense is going to be really, really good for a couple of years while he's there. So Taven Jackson uh, is a guy there for me at running back. I mean, Jaden Blue is probably cheating, but I do think he just steps into that role of Texas and basically picks up where Bijan left off from a production standpoint. So that's a guy that I want everywhere. Wide receiver is a really tough one. <sighs> I think I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to th- look at these names here and pick a guy that I didn't pick the first, the first, you know, one of these discussions already. Let's go with Wesley Grimes, wide receiver at Wake Forest, assuming that Wake Forest can find a replacement for Sam Hartman. A.T. Perry. Or Donovan uh, uh, Green might be gone after this year. I don't 100% know, but I, I think there will be a spot open. A.T. Parrish, the big athletic kid, like 6'2", 180, mm-hmm. like kind of similar to what they've had there. Um, so I think he can step in there and, and do some nice things. Maybe not ready as a freshman, but by 2023, I think that we can see him do something. So those three names there for everybody. I like all three of those calls and I appreciate you kind of digging a little deeper because again, I haven't gone super deep into these freshman drafts and everything. I'll be talking to Brandon Sanders a little bit more about like what he's found so far. Get me caught up to speed on all those guys. So let's go ahead and move on to this next one. This one actually comes from Discord. A lot of these came from Twitter, but uh, uh, Luke Probosco on the Campus Canton uh, Discord kind of shot, uh, kind of DM'd me this one, and he asked, "Is there a stack that you are targeting? Something similar to what a Stearns and Zappy stack last year looked like, or maybe a Heiner and Cropper?" Um, provided last year i'm gonna run through a list of them i just kind of just started writing down i was looking for qb wide receiver combos where you there's a couple rounds difference between them in cff adp so far again this could change over time but like currently as we're standing right now these are probably ones i would be looking at uh bryce young and burton like again to get that bama bama qb bama wide receiver Hartman Perry. Uh, Perry usually goes in the second round. Hartman's going in the third. In fact, in the last draft we just did, he went in the fourth round, which is crazy to me. Um, CJ Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr., I think that's going to be a very uh, a very good stack because, again, you're not getting CJ Stroud and JSN together, but you can get CJ Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, and then Ewers and Worthy. Worthy usually goes in the second round. Ewers probably comes off the board in the third or fourth round. So if you want to go get that Texas combo right there if you're really high on that no reason for you not to get that i'll also throw some kind of more off the beaten path because again i've been talking mostly qb wide receiver we'll go some later round uh, i got a later round stack i've been targeting and then i'm going to go with uh, some more unconventional stacks so cameron ward and dejan shribling are a combo that you're probably going to be seeing like Ward usually goes off in that second tier of QBs, like in that like QB 13 to 24 range, because uh, people believe in the upside there. And then Stripling so far has just gone undrafted. So you can definitely grab that as a later stack for yourself. Another one that I think would be interesting for people to do, Deuce Vaughn goes off in the first round. Grab Adrian Martinez later as your second quarterback. Go ahead and try to get that stack going because Deuce Vaughn is so reliant on his receiving ability. Go ahead and get a guy that you can plug in any given week. And when Deuce Vaughn likely scores a receiving touchdown, you're also going to get the touchdown from Adrian Martinez as well. And then the other one I'm going to throw out here is a quarterback tight end 
stack that I personally would be targeting. If I'm ever getting Jackson Dart in a draft, I'm, you will probably see me grabbing Michael Trigg as my tight end later on. I like the talent that Trigg has brought into USC last year, as we kind of talked about with Nate last week. Constant reports coming out of USC last year out of camps where it's just like Michael Trigg was the best player this week. Michael Trigg was the best player. He didn't have a breakout year quite like Brock Bowers did last year. I think he only had seven catches or something like that. But even still, him following Jackson Dart to Ole Miss and being very vocal about the fact that like, hey, we are a duo. We are going to be something like real here. I want to see that play out in my CFF league. So that's the other kind of unconventional stack I would go with. Austin, you got any more stacks that you think people should be targeting this year? I have two stacks that I think one is cheap right now. One is not Tyler Shuck. Yeah, I know. I really don't. I want to talk to talk about him for another year as much as you guys want to talk about him for another (laughs) year. But I, the Donovan Smith is just the superior talent in every way, but I just have this feeling in my gut that Tyler Shuck might be the guy that go with there uh, at Texas yeah, Tech. That fits the system and, a little bit better usually. Yeah, exactly. And, and then Miles Price. Like I think that one's one because I think you can get Price earlier and then Shuck like way later because nobody wants him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one is that I'm surprised you didn't say at all is Hooker and Tillman, Hendon Hooker and, I, and Cedric Tillman. I'm going to point out here they've both been going in the third round. I did notice that. That's one where if I'm sitting at the end at like the two third the two three turn. Oh yeah, I'm just taking them both and just like being so happy that I, that I managed to do that. I would agree. Yeah, actually you're right. I didn't even think about the turn. Yeah. If you're at the turn, go ahead and try to grab them both. Like breach up a little bit in the second round, grab Tillman, get hooker on the way back in the third round. I don't play that much CFF. I I played in two leagues last year and it was my first year playing pure CFF, but I tell you what, Jalen Tolbert was like my guy early last year. Tillman's my guy early this year. I'm taking him like as early as possible. I don't care if it's a reach. I just think, I mean, his last seven games last year were just stupid. Oh, yeah, they were. So, yeah. So, and I think it's going to be more of the same this year. Put up like, oh, he put up over 100 yards on Georgia's defense, which was like extremely hard up, to do for him. He any... put up 200 yards on Georgia's defense. I, oh, I'm that's right. Sure. It was, I was, I was I'm like, it was I'm like, like seven was for stupid. 200 or something. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he, he roasted Bama. He roasted Georgia. Like, he roasted all these big defenses, killed, crushed Purdue in the bowl game. Yeah. I, I'm going to have so much Cedric Tillman this year. I, I don't blame you whatsoever. I'm going to let you take the lead on this next one. Austin, because this one is a little bit of a C2C angle with it, but also uh, you guys have been discussing this a lot in the Discord or the Discord and the Slack a little bit, but got Jack C on Twitter asking, how does the coaching change in Miami affect Tyler Van Dyke's CFF value? Where are you comfortable drafting him? What about his NFL potential? Does Cristobal improve or limit his development? I'll let you kind of touch on the second part there. I'll kind of bring it around to the CFF value, but I'll let you start off on this one, Austin. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about this on the C2C pod this week or last week, I don't remember. I think we're very much in a wait and see, which isn't like a great answer for Mm -hmm. when somebody's asking you this in February. Um, But what I will, I think the things that we know, we know that Cristobal and um, Gaddis, I don't think either would be a guy that I'd point to and say, I want him to develop my young quarterback. I do think Tyler Van Dyke still has a lot of things to work on. Like I was all in on him going into the offseason if they had Joe Brady there, because I think that would have just like astronomical improvement. Mm-hmm. We've never seen Gaddis run and run like his offense, like an offense that he has full control over. So I think it's a little too early to say Gaddis, you know, is a bum. He's going to turn Tyler Van Dyke into a bum. Like the, I don't want any of these guys anymore. Like I just don't think we know that for sure. Mm-hmm. But I'm a lot lower on Van Dyke than I was four weeks ago 
when I thought it was Joe Brady. So I will like I I think I think this does hurt his NFL upside. I I would be surprised if he would leave school this year and be a first round pick. I just don't think he's at that point. Um, and but I mean I think he'll still score some decently in college, just not what he was doing down the stretch last year. If I had to guess, last year like provided me so much hope with Van Dyke because in the dynasty league that I'm in, I. I thought I was being so slick in the startup draft where I drafted Derek King and then I drafted Jake Garcia a couple rounds later. And I was like, alrighty, no matter who wins, uh, who wins the QB battle, I got the starting QB for a Brett Rashley offense down there at Miami. And then Tyler Van Dyke comes out of, now I don't want to say nowhere because like we knew it, but I like I planted my flag with Jake Garcia and like I spent a lot of fab dollars to make sure I got Tyler Van Dyke once he became the starting quarterback down there. And God, he helped me out so much down the stretch. I still ended up as the second worst team, but even still, like I was more competitive uh, as the year went on. But yeah, Tyler Van Dyke was absolutely awesome. And so it hurt my soul a little bit to see Brett Rashley uh, leave Miami in order to go back to SMU. I'm not going to miss uh, uh, Manny Diaz that much, but even still, bringing in Mario Cristobal, I was like, okay, we'll see who his... OC is oh it's Josh Gaddis well that leaves more questions than answers um so like again is this like a complete fade don't draft him kind of deal no but wherever you had him kind of coming in out of last year like I have him in my top 12 QBs assuming that like all right if he just does what he did last year he's gonna be a top 12 QB this year um but losing Brett Rashley bringing in Mario Cristobal and an uncertain Josh Gaddis offense. It just, the uncertainty itself warrants a fade for right now. So I would say probably where, where would I be comfortable drafting him again? Before all this happened, I was ready to draft him in like the second or third round. I'd say probably I'd wait until like that second tier of QBs that start coming off the board in like the seventh to ninth round. That's where I probably would start thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, just he's just outside my top 12 now. I believe he was my quarterback seven coming into the offseason. And yeah, now he's QB 13, just behind like Hendon Hooker, Cameron Ward, Anthony Richardson. I have ahead of him because I have the same questions with Anthony Richardson, but I think he has more, he's more mobile. Um, so yeah. All righty. We'll hit up another question here. This one is a bit more CFF oriented, but also, you know, just, just in general. But it's a qu- quick little question from Mr. Kevin Coleman, friend of the show and contributor over at Campus Canton. He asks, if you had to pick one running back in that Louisville backfield, who would it be and why? Again, I'm going at this from a C2C perspective, and I'm going to go Tyon Evans here. I know already, like, among the peop- among the CFF experts, some of them are planning their flag on Cooley, but I'm going to go with Tyon Evans because otherwise that transfer makes zero, and I mean zero sense. Tyon Evans, it was a big deal last year where he was upset with the fact that Coming back from his injury, he just wasn't getting the workload that he thought he deserved. So, like that's that's a big reason why he transferred out. At, really, not, not even at the end of the year. It was before the end of the year. He was already out the door. And so I'm like, a lot of us started con- talking about like, all right, where is he going to go? And like some of us were talking about like, okay, if that's what he wants, he needs to go somewhere where he can become that main back. People, we were talking about like. Coastal Carolinas, guy or places like that where like there's uncertainty in the backfield. So maybe he could take over immediately. And then he goes to Louisville. So to me, again, if why transfer there if your goal was to 
be the main back and like to get the volume that you think you deserve and i think the answer to that question is he does think he's going to get the volume that he thinks he deserved there and i think that the coaching staff might have made him some promises in terms of what kind of volume he'll be getting this year and so i think that's why he's probably the best bet from that perspective now cooley obviously a very talented back i think everybody's fading jalen mitchell because he had his chance last year and he just wasn't very good so austin i'll ask you out of the louisville running backs which one are you planning your flag on man i'm not planning my flag on any of them <laughs> um but i i do i i think i agree with the what you're saying that tyon evans obviously probably received some sort sort of assurances that that he would at least like at worst split that backfield. I do think fading Mitchell is like fade at your own risk because there is still like a chance that he ends up being one of those guys. But um, I do think he's clearly the third best back on the roster. And if they really only ever use two and really, I mean, I think they technically prefer to use one if they've got it. I just don't know if they've got that guy. Um, then, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Mitchell probably ends up being the, the guy kind of left out uh, in the cold there. Yeah, I, I I pretty much would agree with you. And like, like I said, like I'm I'm fading Mitchell because again, last year he had his chance and really kind of blew it. Now, granted, a lot of that came from Malik Cunningham vulturing every living touchdown under the sun. So maybe he wasn't able to get the touchdowns that might have boosted up his um, fantasy relevance a little bit more. But even so, like just watching him last year, I just wasn't impressed. Like Javion Hawkins looks like a much better running back than Jalen Mitchell ever looked last year. So I can absolutely see Louisville looking to kind of over-recruit him if he really was their best option last year. All right, got another question here. This one comes from BT Cannon, um, subscriber over on the Campus Cannon subreddit. Or subreddit. Good Lord. I'm, I'm mixing everything up. He's on the Discord, but he left a little question here on this Twitter he asked, this is a Georgia question, because you guys like to ask me Georgia questions for some reason. Uh, can't, can't, couldn't tell why. Um, even so, very simple question. Ranked by fantasy points in 2022. Uh, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, Branson Robinson. For those of you who don't know, those are three, quarter, three running backs in the Georgia backfield for this year. And all I'm going to tell you, BT, is don't overthink this. Milton's going to be the main back. You're going to see Kenny McIntosh fit in as that 1B or 2 behind him. Branson Robinson is going to get some work this year because he's a very talented back, but I don't see it being more than what DeAndre Swift got when you had Michelle and Chubb as the main two backfields. I don't see Branson Robinson coming in and taking over immediately like some people seem to want him to be able to do. Um, I think you're going to see Kendall Milton, and this really kind of ties into another question we'll have pretty much right after this, but... I think people need to be careful fading the lead back for Georgia coming into this year. Because again, a lot of people have been like, oh, we saw what they did with Zamir Cook last year. It's just a running back by committee. There's no way they're going to be able to have a fantasy relevant back. People forget in 2017, when you had Michelle and Chubb, both of those guys finished as top 24 running backs. Like it was a pretty big running back by committee. And you had Swift taking a lot of carries from that as well. Georgia, when they do get that running game going... And people aren't keying in. And I think Georgia, once they get their passing game going a little bit more and they can take some pressure off the run game a little bit, you can absolutely, I could absolutely see Kendall Milton, especially if he has that number one role solidified with Kenny McIntosh becoming like a number two role rather than a 1B. 
I think Kendall, Kendall Milton could be a very sneaky play for you later in drafts this year. What do you think, Austin? Anything you want to add to this? I'm going to defer to the Georgia fan uh, on this one. <laughs> I uh, You didn't talk about Andrew Paul, which hurt my heart a little bit. Um, but I think, I think Andrew that's... Paul is going to... I, I, I don't see him doing anything year one, is, is, is what I will say. I could see him being a back that works very well with Branson Robinson. And also the other the other back that people are like does not even mention here is Dejon Edwards, which he's a pretty good back. Now again, I don't think he has the ceiling that some of the other guys do, but I know for a fact. I just got a report from um, it's not some, it's not seven on seven, but they were they were doing some practice um, like some uh, player led practices recently, and apparently Dejon Edwards is really starting to get a lot of work um, from passes out of the backfield. So that could be interesting. I've yelled Dejon Edwards for it feels like forever now. So eventually, maybe I'll be correct. Then I can yeah. retweet all my old bad takes. Yeah, to me, if Dejon Edwards' ceiling, and this might hurt your heart a little bit, but like I was talking, I was actually talking to Cannon here uh, in our in a in a DM, and I mentioned I'm like he he strikes me as a more talented Brian Harrion. <laughs> I'll take it. So I think he'll get a role in Georgia's offense going forward, but I don't think he'll ever be that guy. That's fair. Yeah. So we'll head up this next one. Um, these are out of order now. Interesting. Uh, but anyway, we'll talk about this one real quick. Um, we got Mitch Hart. He asks, I want a C2C league where we draft high school players, college players, and NFL players in one draft. What do you think of the concept, and who would you take first? First of all, I love this. I don't think this should be the standard for every single league. I think for a lot of people, having two separate drafts works. But I think for certain leagues, for people who have been playing for a long time, this is a great way to kind of shake things up a little bit, like provide a different way to start off your Campus Canton League. And it definitely provides like a different, for people like me who I just appreciate the college side more a little bit. So maybe I go and try to grab some college guys earlier than a lot of other people uh, versus other people who are more NFL minded. So they're just like, oh, I'm going to like focus on the NFL early and I'll just grab whatever's left of the college guys later when guys like Jared overreach for them greatly. Um, in terms of who do I think I would take first, I mean, at the end of the day, you do have to have a solid foundation in your NFL side. So I think first overall, to me, it's going to be the first overall, I believe, in NFL dynasties right now, and that's going to be Jonathan Taylor. He's got a solidified back and a very clear role going forward. Very young back. I think he would be my guy. What do you think, Austin? So I know of one league that does this. Um, well, actually, I'm, I'm in one, but it's a smaller version. But the Pinnacle of Devi, if you guys have never heard of it, uh, on Twitter, they actually have like their own Twitter account. Uh, it's, it's at Pinnacle of Devi. Uh, it's like 12 industry guys, and they've been drafting this for two years now. Basically, they didn't start year one. Like they drafted the whole thing. It's, it's full IDP. You could draft college, high school, whatever. And they said, we're not going to play year one or year two. We'll start in year three once some of these guys start aging up a little bit. So they start next year, I think. And then they've been doing like a yearly like supplemental draft just to kind of you know yeah. catch guys that, that didn't go originally. Um, I think it's a really cool idea. Uh, I would take Patrick Mahomes first. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. that's probably, that's like the, the, the cheapo answer, but I mean, the guy's still got 10 plus years left. We that's already true. know he's good. Like, so I, I would take him, but I mean, I think there would be some interesting strategy. Like if there was a Trevor Lawrence in, in college right now mm-hmm. and, and Patrick Mahomes is three years earlier, then you start weighing, you know, 
I get so many more years of this guy. So I think it, there are some interesting considerations there. Where do you have sure. a guy like Travion Henderson, where it's like day one, he was able to go into the Ohio State running back room and just take over. And he probably is looking to be a first or early second round pick in the NFL draft in the next two years. So do you value a guy like him over maybe a guy like DeAndre Swift, where like you're just worried about Swift's situation over there at the Lions and everything? Can he stay healthy? Stuff like that. Um, but again, Overall, on this question, I like the idea of this. I've been begging PJ to do a mock draft of this just so we can kind of get one out there and get people to just see what it looks like because I think that'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see like is, if the NFL guys are really valued that much higher than like college guys. We'll see. All right. So next up, we have a question from Eric Froton, a friend from NBC Sports Edge and fellow CFF analyst. He asked another question regarding the C2C, um, and he said, would you consider starting the first C2C league where the payouts are skewed toward the CFF side instead of the NFL? C2C, you lose the spirit of C2C when one side is favored over the other. I think both sides need to be equally valued. That's the whole point of C2C is that it's valuing both sides. If you want to play in a league where it's mostly skewed towards the college side, just play in a CFF dynasty. It's not that like it's like those are out there. You can find them. If you want to play in one where it's heavily skewed towards the NFL side, play in a dev or NFL dynasty team. That's that's pretty much my stake on it. What do you think, uh, Austin? I'm a big proponent of splitting the pot 50-50. So um, I mostly agree with that. I think it'd be fun just for something different to have one league because I'm in like seven of them that that favors college a little bit. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, of splitting it. I know a lot of people say, you know, the NFL is the ultimate goal. Um, it's not really for me personally. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, we'll go ahead and move on to the next question. I'll have you answer it. Oh, here it is. Uh, I've been looking for this question. I thought this was supposed to come up next. I guess my uh, questions got out of order a little bit, but that's okay. Chris K., uh, host of the Burn the Red, show, Red Shirt podcast, new sh- show out there. Y'all should check it out. Uh, and also just friend of the show in general. He asked... Will there be a fantasy relevant player for UGA next year besides Bowers? And we're going to take, I'm going to go ahead and answer this one because Chris, you cheated here and you put multiple questions in one tweet. So you're forcing me to answer all three of yours at once. That's fine. Um, but anyway, fantasy relevant player at UGA besides Bowers. I've already mentioned, I think Kendall Milton, people are sleeping on him a little bit as a guy that could, who could become the main back at Georgia. A lot like kind of DeAndre Swift did after Chubb and Michelle left. The other name I'm going to throw out there is a guy that I don't think you should draft in CFF redraft, but I think he is a decent value, or a great value, really, because nobody's going to be looking for him. But Arian Smith at Georgia uh, is a wide receiver. He was a four-star, I believe, two years ago. I'm, I'm losing track at this point. That's what happens when you've been doing this for a while. Um, but guy can't stay healthy first two years but also let's look at his stats so far he's had eight targets so far at georgia which again sounds terrible after two years but also again when you consider the fact that he just hasn't been healthy but in addition he's had five eight targets five of those he caught 188 yards three touchdowns averaging 37.6 yards per catch georgia knows how they want to use arian smith the dude just needs to stay healthy and they basically want to tell him, Arian, go out there, go straight. We'll throw the ball to you. Just burn your DB and you should be good to go. Again, averaging already 40 yards per catch is, to me, insane for a former four-star receiver. 
And again, if he can just stay healthy, get him on your best ball league. He'll give you he'll give you at least a couple of great performances throughout the season once they get him more involved in the actual starting lineup. Uh, and then the other one, and again, Austin, I know you're not a huge fan of him, but I'm going to throw him out there. Don't sleep on Brock Vandergriff if he does win the starting job for UGA's quarterback this year. Guy is a dual-threat quarterback. He will have another year under a Todd Monken system, and from everything I have heard, Vandergriff is the premier type of quarterback that Todd Monken loves to use. And if again, if he is, if he is able to take over that starting quarterback role for Georgia, he's basically what Stetson Bennett was last year, just better in almost every way. Like a lot of the same skill set, he's just better at it. So if he is able to do that and they are able to utilize his legs a little bit more, get him some help with some of those receivers and everything, I think people shouldn't be sleeping on him too much. But I'm not saying go out and draft him or anything like that right now. The one thing that I will say, and yes, I am like vehemently anti-Brock Vandergriff. Um, there's no way coming out of high school that he's less, like he's a worse quarterback than Stetson Bennett was. So, um, just by, you know, doing that calculus in your head, I guess there is a chance there. Um, but I'm, I'm very, very low on, on Brock Vandergriff, the player. No, absolutely. makes sense. I just looked, I I just looked up. Yeah. Stetson Bennett finished as the QB 65 last year, and that was without him starting two of those games, I believe. So there's room to grow there, definitely. Um, oh, no, that was Arkansas. I was like 4.48. That was Arkansas. He only threw for like 77 yards because Arkansas couldn't stop anything on the ground. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I think if you just get a better version of Stetson Bennett, you will have a guy that is rosterable at the very least. Um, so anyway, continue on with Chris's tweet here because, again, he put multiple questions in here. Uh, any Virginia Tech players that pop for you? I got two. Two transfers. Uh, Grant Wells, I do like coming from Marshall over to Virginia Tech. I've been waiting for him to get out of Marshall, move up to the Power Five. I think Virginia Tech is a great place for him to go to. New coaching staff, um, all of the previous quarterbacks that they've had have transferred out. Now, Jason Brown, some people are like, oh, Jason Brown transferred there from South Carolina. Jason Brown only started for South Carolina because they literally had nobody else. Uh, Grant Wells is a much better quarterback, so I'm excited to see what he can do at Virginia Tech. And then the other reason why I'm even excited about Grant Wells is because he has a weapon. And that's Jaden Blue coming over from Temple. Great wide receiver over there. Finally moving up to the power five. I'm excited to see what he can do when he has a real quarterback throwing to him. God bless you, Dwan Mathis. You will always have a place in my Georgia Bulldog heart, but you're not a good quarterback. And Jaden Blue knew that and got out of there. So any Virginia Tech players you're keeping an eye on, Austin? So I guess I'm going to continue to beat the drum for Dwayne Lofton. Uh, a guy that I think could emerge and do something there was a true freshman last year, but I think he was uh, way too underrated or, or, or like lowly rated by the, the recruiting services. Uh, pretty productive in high school. He's a little bit of a smaller guy, um, but I think that he has a chance to step in and be a, you know, their, their second or third option. So that's just a guy that I, uh, I have rostered on a lot of C2C rosters. Um, and I'm not afraid to take him again in like the 45th round this year. No, makes sense. And I, I, I like that call. And so Chris has one more question here. And he asks, how high are you willing to take Quinn Ewers in redraft slash best ball leagues this season? Uh, so currently in my rankings, I have Quinn Ewers as my QB7. 
mostly because of projection and upside in a Steve Sarkeesian offense uh, and with the weapons that he has to work with there with Bijan Robinson, uh, Isaiah Nayor, Xavier Worthy, guys like that. Like he, he has all the tools he needs to have a very successful season this year. But how high I'm going to take him is going to depend on the scoring format. So you're talking about a six-point touchdown league with QBs kind of going off the board pretty quickly. I'm willing to take him in the second round. If you're talking about a four-point passing touchdown and QBs are going off the board pretty slowly, I'd probably wait until like the third, fourth round if I hadn't taken a QB at that point. Yeah, I'm all in on Quinn Ewers as a producer <laughs> and as obviously a future uh, NFL prospect. I somewhat boldly predicted this week on, I think, every debate that I don't think it's outrageous to think that Quinn Ewers could throw for 4,500 yards this year. Oh. I realized that he doesn't quite have the weapons that Mac Jones had his final year at Alabama, but Mac Jones threw for 4,500 yards at Alabama in the SEC. I don't see why there's any reason Quinn Ewers cannot do that at Texas yeah. with the weapons that he has around him there. So I think that's certainly in the cards. And if that happens, he's a top 12 fantasy quarterback at minimum. So I don't know how high that would put him necessarily in drafts, but certainly a top 36 pick. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I thought, I thought you were going to say it. it's at least certainly a top 36 quarterback. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're all past that. Um, yeah. Top three rounds. Yeah. I, I would, I would definitely say it's definitely worth it again. He's not going to be, if I grabbed a guy like Bryce Young in the first round already and everything, like I'm just not even considering taking a second quarterback unless he fell to me in like the fifth round or something like that and like something outrageous like that. I'm like, well, it's Quinn Ewers still doing here. I'm going to go ahead and pick him off. But like, again, as my first quarterback, if it's six point passing touchdowns, I'm probably going for him in the second round. If it's four point passing cut, touching, four point passing touchdowns, good Lord, English, let's try this again. Um, I'll probably take him in the third or fourth round. That's probably where I would get him. All right, go ahead and move on from that uh, explosion of questions from Chris right there. Moving on to Jake the Snake, at Debbie Jake, a good friend of the show and just guy I like to talk to. Conversely, uh, this is supposed to be coming right after um, Eric Froton's question, but even so, he asks, how do you feel about freshman draft order being driven by the NFL standings instead of the college standings, referring to C2C leagues? So again, to me... The spirit of CDC is that both sides matter. So to me, you need to be looking at um, you need to be looking at an average between the two. Like what happens in the NFL side shouldn't determine exactly what happens on like at the freshman level because again that then puts way more value on the NFL side of things. When in CDC, you're supposed to be looking at both sides. You want to be uh, able to win both or you want to be able to have both sides matter at the end of the day so to me an average of both uh where you fall like say you like finish fifth in one league but second in the other like your average finish is like a third three and a half use that value to determine your freshman draft order if there is a tie then go to the total points scored in both leagues and then that's your tiebreaker if for some reason you somehow still have a tie with that then I guess you can like favor the NFL or something like that, or just decide within your league, like how do we want to do that? Uh, but that's just how I feel about it. Again, I want C2C leagues to have both sides matter equally, because again, that's to me the point of it. What do you think, Austin? Yeah, I don't, uh, I, I actually really like that idea about averaging them. I've never seen or heard of that before, but I think that's a really good way to do it. And I think we haven't as you know a collective figured out the best way to do that yet, because there are definitely people that, 
game it slightly because they don't care about the college side at all. Um, I do caution when people say that they don't care about the college side at all. It's a really good way to drive a team into the ground. And I think more often than not, I watch people that say that do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the average is a really good idea. That actually might be something that I look to implement uh, in some leagues that I'm starting up this off season. Yeah. Again, again, to me, it's, you got to find a way to make both sides matter uh, and matter equally. Like don't weigh it or anything like that. Just like make it to where where you finish on the college side matters, where you finish in the NFL side matters. That because again, it's supposed to be one league. Like eventually, we would want it to where like both leagues are just part of one team. At the end of it, I, I believe that's the goal. Like and like, um, like you don't have to go to like a settings, or you don't have to go like from sleeper over to fan tracks or something like that. You'd want both on sleeper, and you would want them to be like under the same tab. Like when you're looking at your leagues and be like, alrighty, and then just like within that tab, you have two tabs, like all right, college, NFL, stuff like that. Um, like I would think that would be the goal of C to C at the end of the day. That is the dream. So. That is the dream. Alrighty, we're hitting about one hour ten minutes. Let's see if we can fit one more question in here. And Austin, it's your question. Oh yay! Look at me, that, that handsome guy there. That little handsome guy. He's got a little. Um, what is that in your pocket? Like you're wearing a suit, I can tell, and a bow tie. But like, that's that's actually my wedding day. Yeah, I just oh, that's a snazzy picture of me. Yes, very very snazzy. But Austin, you put me on the spot here because I want Archie Manning to go to Georgia, and you just said craft a sales pitch. Arch Manning to go to Georgia. And here is what I was able to put together in about 10, in about five minutes. <laughs> so what I would argue to Arch Manning is the pieces are in place for you to succeed here. You have Todd Monken, who's by far the most successful offensive coordinator that Georgia has had in probably the last decade in terms of being able to utilize players in creative ways in order to get them out in space, in order to provide recipes for even a walk-on quarterback to succeed in that offense and be able to take them to a national championship and to be able to outscore their opponents by at least 20 points any given week. So you have that as well. And again, like I said, um, he was able to take a former walk-on quarterback and utilize him in order to get Georgia to the national championship. Not a lot of OCs I don't think are really going to be able to do that. Um, In addition, Maybe you're worried about wide receiver recruiting. Fair point. A lot of people are at Georgia. Um, but even still, meet Mr. Uh, uh, Brian McClendon, our new wide receivers coach, a fantastic recruiter at the highest level. He is going to be able to get you guys that you want. But in addition, you're Arch Manning. People are going to want to play with you. They will come. You come to UGA and they will follow. Whether that's via recruiting or that's via the transfer portal, people are going to say, I want to go play with Archie Manning. We got Todd Monken here who's now going to be able to utilize them. Unlike past offensive coordinators, we'll be able to get you guys covered. In addition, the final thing I have here, you have one of the best O-lines in the country to protect you. Last year, Georgia's pass protection for the for Stetson Bennett was one of the best in the country. Georgia, if there's one, there's plenty of areas where they've never had to worry about recruiting. Offensive line has always been one of the top of that list. You will be protected. Did I do a good enough job, Austin? <sighs> I guess you sold me a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Uh, I still would prefer he go elsewhere. But I think that, you know, that's about as fair of a pitch as I think Georgia can put out there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I don't know exactly what your guys' status is with NIL. Um, how much from cash you're offering from, from everything i've heard actually 
NIL is actually one of the last things that Arch Manning's worried about because again, Shocker. he's a Manning. He's already Shocker. got. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> I would yeah. say like like this is not like this is Caleb Williams or something like that where he is like or like other quarterbacks where like they're coming from like you know not well off families and so they need that NIL to help out themselves, help out their families and stuff like that. Arch Manning's like. You get me NIL deals, that's great. If not, like I'm a Manning, we're good to go. So yeah, yeah, he's 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 like the one guy that you're like, I, Texas A&M has no shot because yeah. he doesn't care. Yeah, he, he has absolutely he does not care whatsoever. Thank God for that. I don't need any more of these kids going to Texas A&M to be ruined. No, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, again, like when it comes to Texas A&M, like it's the same thing with Georgia. Like everybody talks about, like oh, they're like they're terrible for CFF and everything like that. Like all it takes is one. All it takes is one offense one year to really light it up, and you start talking about them in a different way afterwards. LSU. Like, LSU was a graveyard for offensive players for CFF for so long, and then you had the one year with Joe Burrow. And then now we're talking about, like, Kayshawn Butte. We got Miles Brennan at the quarterback position next year. People are going to be drafting him. Like, we're talking about guys in the— like, we're talking about tons of wide receivers at LSU right now who they got because of that one season. All it takes is one good year, and all of a sudden, the recruiting machine just almost feeds itself. What happened with Alabama, when Alabama made their switch and everything, I mean, I think Ohio State's always, always been pretty good offensively, but Alabama had to make the switch at one point. All it took was one year for them to prove that, hey, we can do it. I think it's the same thing at Georgia, same thing at Texas A&M. Once they do one year where we finally get those offenses that we've been promised, I think everything kind of changes for them. Fingers crossed. Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. All right. I'm going to see if we can fit one more in here. We're going back to Scott Robertson. And he asks, are we really drafting tight ends as early as the second round this year? Or are you serving up LSD laced lollipops during your mock draft? Scott? Yes. Yes, we are. Uh, and it's looking like that is the price you're going to have to pay at least for Brock Bowers. It's looking like there's actually a tier break now between Brock Bowers and Michael Meyer. Where Michael Meyer is now going late third, early fourth, Brock Bowers is going mid to second. If that is the case, you will never find me drafting Brock Bowers. And I will be drafting Michael Meyer as much as I can in the third and fourth round. I tried in this last draft to see if he could fall in the fourth round. He got drafted in the first pick of the fourth round. So likely, if I'm going to want him, I'm going to take him in the third round rather than pay for Brock Bowers in the second round. What do you think of this, Austin? Like These two tight ends going so early in CFF drafts this year. Yeah, I immediately poo-pooed it, and then Chris Moxley made a really good kind of argument as to why, you know, as, as a collective, we are better at predicting uh, the, the high and tight end positions and having one of those few producers matters. Um, my counterpoint would be that I just don't care. Um, <laughs> I'm a big wide receiver, heavy early guy, um, so Fair. I will probably continue to head that direction this year. But I, am, I mean, what is again, a tight end but a heavier not wide a receiver? I, I am I am by far like not the person you want to ask about pure CFF redraft strategy. So um, if he, if Chris Moxley's saying it, he's probably more correct than anything that I would come up with as we're sitting here. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, we are hitting an hour and fifteen minutes. I think that's where we're going to cut it off again. A couple of questions here that, especially Scott Robertson, I will go back and answer your questions later in the in the uh, Twitter thread. Um, but again, appreciate everybody for sending in those questions. Again, a lot of great topics we were able to cover today, whether it's just from strategy to specific players to specific teams. 
uh, differences between different types of leagues. I think you guys will enjoy all those different answers to those questions. And Austin, I really appreciate you coming on today to really help me out with some of those kind of C2C, the ways to look at it from a C2C perspective. Um, I think people are very much going to enjoy that. Um, before we head out of here, Austin, I'll go ahead and let you kind of pitch anything that you're working on specifically recently or just anything over at Campus Canton that maybe I don't know about or just, you know, the people out there, you just want to put out one more pitch for it. At Debbie Dietz, you can find me on Twitter. Everything I do is at Campus to Canton. I'm literally so bummed because like two weeks from now, I would probably be able to plug something really, really cool. Um, but we haven't quite gotten the last piece of it yet to be able to announce it. Um, but we literally have like four, I know everyone says this every time they go on a podcast. Um, we literally have like four huge projects slash updates coming within the next month to six weeks that are, in my opinion, going to just very much change a lot of how people look at C2C and some of this stuff. So yes, I think it's very much worth checking into if you haven't yet $2.99 a month, $29.99 a year, um, get you access to everything, everything that we do. So one tier, that's it. So go check it out. I mean, absolutely. And guys, it, it is worth every penny when you go over there. I've started using a lot of their met metrics and everything in order to try to make my, my projections a little bit better. Again, incredible stuff over there for you guys. And then just on the CFF side of things at Campus Again, I can tell you all of us are extremely excited for what we're going to be able to. I believe we're aiming in the next month or so to really kind of expand the CFF side of that website. We'll be providing you guys stuff like ADP. We'll be providing you guys stuff like rankings, ECR, expert consensus ranking, if you don't know what that means, stuff like that. And we're also just bouncing off ideas from each other constantly as to what we need like or like what we could be providing you guys that no other cff site has ever provided to you guys if we can get stuff like that rolling make it easier for people to join the college side of fantasy it's going to be really incredible for you guys uh in addition a small little project of mine that i'll be working on going forward one thing i noticed campus of Canton did not have is a transfer portal report and of course, the week that I want to actually get started on that, nobody of interest really enters the transfer portal from a fantasy perspective. Like obviously some defensive guys entered and stuff like that. But from a fantasy perspective, nobody entered. But once that starts getting back up again, spring practice and everything, people start entering again, I will be getting you guys a weekly transfer portal report for you guys to get like a quick rundown of all the different transfers for that different week. And it'll go pretty deep. Like I'll, I'll be looking at guys. It won't just be like the Jermaine Burtons of the world or the Quinn Ewers of the world. I'll be going down. Like if I see a offensive player transfer from one destination to another and they had any kind of relevance last year, or they could possibly now have relevance this year, they will be on that report. So look out for that in the next coming weeks, but even still appreciate you guys joining in for today again if you're watching on youtube subscribe notification bell comment down below love talking to you guys down there again continue to talk to us over on twitter i'm at cff underscore jared you can dm me you can at me i'm pretty accessible both ways if you're on the campus again discord i am there i hang out all the time if you're on the cff site discord i'm there i'm all i'm there all the time if you ever want to dm me that's cool there too in addition to that, if you're listening on podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of that, make sure you're following. Leave those five-star reviews, all that good jazz. But even still, you guys enjoy the game tonight. It's going to be a good one between the Bengals and the Rams, I'm pretty sure. If it's not, well, I'm terrible at guessing these kind of things. So <laughs> you guys have a wonderful, wonderful day.